The Truth News Network. Let me know if this sounds familiar. Communists building a base in Cuba. Missiles pointed at the United States. Where have we heard that before? In 1962, it was Soviet missiles, and John Kennedy put his foot down. In 2023, it's China. And where is the president's son getting much of his money? And are you hearing about this in the media? Well, in a world gone mad, you need a big, fat helping of the truth. And the master of the truth is TNN. The Truth News Network. And your master of ceremonies is Dan Newman. Who the heck? is able to determine what's truth and what isn't. I mean, gosh, look at what's happening around the world every day. If I had four years ago, maybe five years ago, if I had opened up the show and said, hey, guys, guess what? Uh, The president is very likely to go to jail, and not just because of impeachment, but because of other trumped-up charges that are pending against him and Trump, of course, being uh, a salient word in this conversation. Would you believe or have any thoughts whatsoever about our government going after the media? I mean, literally going after the media, trying to put media members in jail and being successful sometimes in doing that. You can't even fathom what was going on in our minds, in the minds of our government leaders back then, the new leadership that came in in 2020. That, of course, would be the Biden administration. Well, guess what? The Biden administration is not totally about Joe Biden. It's not. How involved is he in governing in the United States of America? You and I both know. If he's involved at all, it's piecemeal. It's only when it's about a certain topic that whoever his handlers are, whoever writes his speeches and puts them in the teleprompter and tells him what he's supposed to say, it's whatever those people decide for him to communicate. And it's not easy for them to get it done. You know that. He has definite cognitive decline. To what level, to what degree, we'll probably never know. That's just one of the things they're hiding from us. So today's show, it's incredible how much evil has happened just the last two or three days. Late yesterday on the show, I stopped talking as I got a text from our journalist, our journalist, investigative journalist, Steve Baker. And he was put on notice by his lawyer. His lawyer had just been contacted by the FBI informing him that Steve will be indicted. He will be charged regarding who knows what about the January 6th stuff. I talked to Steve for quite a while this morning, early this morning, and I I called to uh, cheer him up because I know getting that notification, especially in the environment in which he is living permanently, which is seeking to get facts about a lot of things, but chief of all is the wrongdoing by our government, concerted, premeditated illegality by our government. It's uncontroverted now. Our government broke massive numbers of laws against a huge number of of American people 
in the aftermath of January 6th. And they're hiding. They're hiding it all. Protecting each other. They think they are. And they don't think people know that there was a lot of wrongdoing going on. I guess the number one flaw made by members of the Biden administration back even before the election, and even members of Congress, specifically the ones that were way up at the top, you heard from them, saw them all the time, people like Nancy Pelosi. On the Republican side, there were several people at that level, two of which aren't even in the House of Representatives anymore, talking about Miss Cheney and that sycophant from Illinois. I just don't understand how anybody in government thinks it's okay for them to just attack anybody and everybody in direct contravention to the Constitution and the fundamental Ten Amendments, those that our forefathers sought, were so important that they restated them. They had already worked out the contents of those Ten Amendments, and they were included when they wrote the Constitution. But then they looked at it, and they said, you know what? There are some uh, rights that are enshrined in the Constitution that we need to make sure that everybody moving forward that's part of any of the American administrations, that these rights belong explicitly to the people, and the government has no authority over that part of. That part of is exclusively belongs to the American people. That was our Bill of Rights. And still today, they're trampling on it every day with impunity. I've got some news from Steve Baker. We'll talk about that. And we're also going to look back to a similar situation that happened, by the way, in the Biden and Obama administration way back in 2010, similar thing that looks like is happening to our Steve Baker in D.C. next week. He asked me to tell you he's he's okay, he's fine, he's comfortable. He has known for well over a year that this might happen to him because the FBI has met with he and his attorney several times. They put him on notice. In fact, the first contact he had was when his lawyer was contacted by a prosecutor at the FBI telling Steve's lawyer that they were going to indict Steve for his wrongdoing. No details, but alleged wrongdoing on January 6th. And here we are two years later, and it looks like that's going to happen. We have that to talk about. We also have some Ukraine financing news for you. And guess what? It's not coming from the United States of America. It's coming from the European Union. You know, those states that are around Ukraine that they have verbally said they will, when the fighting's all over in this war with Russia, they're going to bring Ukraine into uh, the agreements of the EU and our allies across Europe. We've got some news about that, and it's not good news for Ukraine. And then some more bits and pieces, but we'll get to some really big stuff. You're going to hear from some people that some of you haven't heard in a while, and you're going to hear some truths today that you may have 
thought about, maybe crossed your mind, maybe you heard somebody else speak about it, but you haven't weighed in yourself and you don't have a lot of information about it, but you need to. We're just going to have a big Friday. How about that? And why don't we do this? We play here during the December month regarding Christmas. Every morning, we start the show with a Christmas song, and we end the show every day with a Christmas song. So why don't we just pause in the type of Christmas song we bring you and do something that is an old favorite but a little different version of it by one of Louisiana, one of our finest natives. You'll know who this is when you hear this song. Enjoy this one. It'll just take a couple of minutes. Hey, kids, you know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen, but do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Yeah! Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it You would even say it glows To laugh and call him names. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him as they shouted out with glee. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer You go down in history Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him, as they shouted out with glee, Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, you go down in his That's our boy, Harry Connett Jr. from New Orleans and uh, the famous Christmas song, famous for kids. Ah, moms and dads like it too. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Well, a big shock up on the northeast part of the United States last night, specifically the Big Apple on the east side in Brooklyn and then on the west side across the river into New Jersey. Fire Department in New York, they raced to rescue a whole bunch of New Yorkers that got trapped in dark elevators. The Big Gay, New York City, New Jersey, 
plunged into chaos and what happened to start it all? A sudden mass power outage that was sparked by an explosion at a Con Edison plant. Black smoke seen coming from the Con Ed power facility in Brooklyn. Smoke happened around the time the outages reported across New York City. So think about that. Your power just goes out all of a sudden. And then when you look in the horizon, you can see black smoke coming up over the big power plant for New York City, Con Edison. Outages led to travel chaos, as you can imagine. People being stuck in elevators across New York City. It plunged the city into chaos. Thankfully, it was just temporary. Multiple reports of people that were trapped in elevators, stuck on the subway for about a half hour. Some motorists even reported blinking traffic lights. Some alarming footage showed one security guard at a Wegman store in Brooklyn. I know right where it is. They had to rescue him from an elevator. At Grand Central Station, all the elevators and all the escalators were out of service for about a half hour. Can you imagine the panic that those people felt with everything that's going on around the world and the threats to the United States and its people? And then 11 o'clock, dark outside, Thursday night, bam, all of a sudden a power failure, then the lights go out, elevators don't run, subways don't run. That's a scary thought. Thankfully, it was just temporary, but maybe that's a wake-up call for all of us. You think? It very well could be. We talked about the Obama's movie that has just come out. It came out over the last weekend, and it's about the end times and the surprises. It's on Netflix. I can't remember the title of it, but it has to do with a surprise beginning of the end of the world, and it's biblical which really shocked me coming from those two people who are not well known to be uh, adherents to the Bible. I, I can't make a call on their Christianity where they are in that, but, you know, there's so many little things that go into religion. You've got to be careful. But nevertheless, I would never expect their names to come up as the uh, executive producers of a show like that. And if you haven't seen it, it's got great acting in it. Um, I think you'll like it, but it's kind of eye-opening. It kind of falls in line with what uh, these people in New Jersey, New York, Brooklyn were thinking when those power and all the lights and elevators and everything just quit running. You, all kind of thoughts run through your head. You never, never know for sure what's going on. Other big news. Coming from the White House of all places, a bunch of evolving rhetoric about Joe's involvement with Hunter. Everybody's wondering. Remember we played yesterday, a day before yesterday. Um, Hunter was supposed to appear before a House committee behind closed doors to do a deposition. And instead of going there, he went to the Capitol building, but he set up a little press conference outside and he pontificated about how evil Republicans are and how he had never done a thing. So, he made it very clear that his dad was not implicated in any way in his, Hunter's, overseas business relationships or any of the companies that he dealt with. And so the question was, and I'm still 
asking it. Haven't gotten an answer yet. I have some suspicions. What did Joe know about that little press, when a press conference, it was a press statement that Hunter was supposed to make. Now remember, that is a really big deal. Not that he made a public statement right in front of the Capitol, but that he did so and then told them he was not going to abide by a congressional subpoena that demanded him be there to go in to have that committee hearing. He violated a subpoena. Now, what has his father said again and again and again? Yesterday, we played a soundbite of him being asked about the people that refuse to honor congressional subpoenas to hear before Nancy Pelosi's charade January 6th committee. And Joe said, when he was asked, what should happen to those people that say they're not going to appear based upon the subpoenas they got. And Joe said they ought to be prosecuted. (laughs) Do you think that will apply to Hunter? Because that's exactly what he did. And by the way, during the Trump stuff that happened, there were several people that were subpoenaed by Congress to come before Congress and testify that refused to. Steve Bannon was one of them. He went to jail. There's another one pending, hadn't had a trial yet. So, is it good enough for the goose? Is it good enough for the gander then? Let me ask you this. What do you think should happen, if anything, if it's found out that Joe knew about Hunter not going, not honoring that subpoena, and did they talk about it? And was he involved in Hunter's decision at all? If he was, let me tell you what that is. That's illegal to do that. But then, you know what? Honoring the law, the rule of law, none of that's ever mattered to Joe Biden. He doesn't even think about it. Only when somebody tells him that he needs to do something just because it's legally the way it's supposed to be done, that's the only time he even thinks about that stuff. Otherwise, he just does what he wants to do and that becoming every day more and more obvious. Rhetoric around Joe's involvement with Hunter. Yesterday, on Thursday's broadcast of CNN This Morning, a White House spokesman for oversight and investigations, Ian Sams, he answered a question about Hunter Biden, stating that Joe Biden had no financial involvement in Hunter's businesses, and how that's different from prior claims that the president didn't talk about the business and wasn't involved by stating that it's one of the GOP's, quote, favorite little shiny objects is to try to take a semantic thing and nothing has changed. The president was not in business with his son, period. Now that's coming from this spokesperson, Ian Sams. So co-host Phil Mattingly at the CNN Network asked in the statement that Hunter made yesterday, he said, quote, let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business. He was unequivocal about that. 
But that's an evolution of where the president had been during the campaign, where the White House had been at the start of his administration, not involved financially in the business. That's very different from never talked about the business, not been involved in the business at all. Was that an intentional point of clarity, do you think? They're asking Ian Sams that, and he replied, I actually dispute the whole premise of that question. It's one of Representative Jim Jordan's favorite little shiny objects is to try to take a semantic thing, make an argument that is somehow far afield from what they're actually focused on. We've been extremely clear over and over again for years now. Nothing has changed. The president was not in business with his son, period. They're trying to make up all sorts of allegations and make up lies about, and Mattingly then cut him off, and he said this, Mattingly, Ian, with respect, I'm not citing Jim Jordan here. I was in some of the White House press briefings. I was in several of them where it was said explicitly the president did not talk to his son about business dealings. That is clearly not the case. And I think the statement from the White House has changed. And I think been a little bit more precise over the course of the last several months. It's what the president said on the campaign trail as well. I'm not saying this is like an impeachable offense or some grand indictment, but it is a fact that the president said one thing that ended up being not true. In Dan Newman's speak, that means Joe told a whopper. No, Joe told two whoppers. No, Joe told three and we could sit here all day counting his lies. Sam's responded, again, I dispute that's true. That is not true. The truth is that he wasn't in business with his son. The Republicans have been for years trying to make arguments that he was somehow wrapped up in all of this. And over and over again, those have been refuted. And wait a minute. They haven't been refuted. We have pictures. We have video. We have conversations where Hunter didn't just speak to a business partner or a business associate once or twice or three times, more than a dozen times. It's documented. Joe met with, spoke with Hunter's foreign business partners. Now, what else happened? That's still up for grabs. But let me, let, let me just give you my perspective on this. Why are they marching out and still, in concert, making these claims? When the facts are already out, the evidence is already out. The, I, I can come up with the only answer to my own question. The only purpose I can see that they would want to keep banging this drum is they still feel like Joe can not only run again next year, that he can possibly win again, and they need to keep pounding the same talking points riddled with lies and misrepresentation into the heads of Democrats that obviously the Democrat hard left and the Democrat National Committee think Americans that are voting are too stupid to realize they're lying. They being all these henchmen propping up Joe and Hunter. I don't think any of this narrative is going to change. I think they're going to beat the drum 
they're getting to the point or they're close to the point now where truth doesn't even matter to them. They've got a narrative they're selling. And guess what? A bunch of Democrats are buying it. That's all that matters. Getting people to vote for you. Forget about who they are, what their foundation is, political affiliation. Get them to pull the lever, Mark Joe Biden, next year. Now, a lot of people are coming out after the fact, and they're very concerned because they can't figure out the DOJ's handling of Hunter Biden's case. Jonathan Turley yesterday, great attorney, constitutional attorney, he said the Biden case has become inexplicable. Fox News contributor Jonathan Turley, he was on America's Newsroom yesterday, and he said that the glaring issue about this, this Hunter Biden case, is how the DOJ allowed early potential tax felonies against him, Hunter, to expire. In this kind of situation at the federal level, that doesn't happen. Federal prosecutors never let a statute of limitation run out when they're in a case. They just don't do it. They go back to court and get extensions. They hurry up grabbing evidence and testimony to make sure if it's a, especially a slam-bang case, which this one would obviously be, they don't let that happen. So yesterday, Turley, he said the glaring issue in the Hunter Biden case is how the DOJ allowed the early potential tax felonies against the first son to expire. There's only one logical explanation for it. They did it purposely so he couldn't be prosecuted for those. The George Washington University law professor questioned why special counsel David Weiss, who is now investigating Hunter Biden's possible misconduct, yeah, right. Not illegality, just his misconduct. How that would allow the statute of limitations to run out during an investigation. And they were investigating that very issue for five years. And they couldn't come to a conclusion sufficient to take action on it. So they just let it expire. Turley. Well, things are going poorly, I think, for the Biden team. Obviously, this was not a good week. The impeachment inquiry is indeed that it's an inquiry now formally. It's an effort to confirm these facts. The Democrats voted unanimously to stop any further questions, even though half of America, according to a recent poll, support this impeachment inquiry going formal. 70% of Americans think the president acted illegally, or at least unethically, so these questions do have to be answered. Now, whether they'll be answered by Leslie Wolf is a good question. She is the prosecutor that let this all slip through the cracks. She may still be operating under instructions from the DOJ as to what she can talk about the handling of this case. She left. She quit. Wonder why. The glaring issue remains the fact that the DOJ allowed these early felonies to expire. Asking questions, nobody over there is answering any questions. The whistleblowers have said they had a deal on the table that would have allowed the statute of limitations to be extended. And for some unexplainable reason, 
Weiss just allowed it to expire. Turley said, I've got to tell you, I pride myself on being able to share both sides of a legal issue. I can't imagine the rationale for allowing felonies to expire in the middle of an investigation. Maybe she can, because I can't think of one. Leslie Wolf, she is the assistant U.S. attorney who was accused of limiting questions related to President Joe Biden during the federal investigation into Hunter Biden. But she's no longer a DOJ employee. Nobody's gotten an answer out of her, except maybe her inner circle, why she's no longer there. Maybe we ought to pray for her, hoping she's still breathing. I'm not being funny. Stranger things have happened. She served as an assistant U.S. attorney in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware. The source said Wolf has long-standing plans to lead the DOJ, and she did so a couple of weeks ago. Those whistleblowers claimed that she is the one that slow-walked the Hunter Biden investigation, is sitting for a transcribed interview before the House Judiciary Committee, supposedly Yesterday didn't happen. Don't ask me why. There's not been one bit of any mini explanation of why. Specifically, IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley alleged that Wolf worked to limit questioning related to President Biden and some apparent references to Biden as dad or the big guy. So what does all this mean? You you have as much knowledge about it as I do. Anything I would say is speculation. But I think the obvious is, if you look at today's circumstances, look back at the way the DOJ under Merrick Garland, this attorney general, operates when it comes to the Biden family syndicate, Joe and Hunter specifically. If you put all that in the context, nothing's just incidental, and it's happenstance. No way. Nothing in the Biden administration just happens. There's reason, there's plans, and there's evidence after the fact. And the only thing they worry about is are they going to be able when it's exposed, and they know that everything they do now, they're living in a wide open environment where everything they say and do, it's seen by everybody around the world. They know that, but they don't even care. It's like, so you know what we did. Big deal. What are you going to do about it? And that's the number one question for us to ask as this investigation, these investigations keep rolling forward. Why would they believe that so strongly? Why would they have believed so strongly when Joe Biden was in his campaign running against the then president, Donald Trump? You remember that environment? They were, the media were pelting Nancy Pelosi in one of her Thursday uh, press briefings that she had. Briefing room was full of news people. They were asking, they were screaming. Everybody wanted to get a question asked of her and she would answer them and she didn't like the question. She would move on. And that went on for 15, 20, 30 minutes. 
and they kept asking her about Joe Biden campaigning. He's not campaigning. He's never seen. He doesn't answer questions. He quits every day at noon, one after another. I'll never forget. I watched it live that day, which I very seldom do, but I watched it live, and she stuck that bony finger up in the air and shook it like there was something on her finger, like a booger she couldn't flick off. That's gross. And she said, mark my word, I guarantee you January 20th of 2021, I will inaugurate Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States. And she walked off. She knew something then. We'll probably never know for sure but she knew something then. Now, before we take our first break, here's a little P.S. about Hunter's actions yesterday. His actions implicate his daddy, our president. Biden, in fact, may have committed an impeachable offense if he was aware of Hunter's plan to defy that congressional subpoena. And this is coming from a former Deputy Independent Counsel Saul Weisenberg. Hunter delivered those remarks to members of the press Wednesday after he refused to show up for a deposition. I do agree with George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, Weisenberg said, that that would be an article of impeachment for instruction if Joe in any way encouraged Hunter to take the position that he did. But... I think it's an incredible admission to make and a foolish admission to make to even say he was aware of it. Don't forget this. This is very important. We have to keep reiterating this point. Hunter had no legal authority to do what he did on Wednesday. He is not different legally than Steve Bannon was or than Peter Navarro was. And let's remember what happened to them. They were held in contempt by the full house. They were referred to the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. They were prosecuted. Both of them were convicted. Republican Reps James Comer of Kentucky, Jim Jordan of Ohio, who chair the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees, they said Wednesday they would begin contempt of Congress proceedings against Hunter Biden. Weisenberg also made this note. Biden, Joe Biden, was making his displeasure over his son's legal issues known to the DOJ through an indirect path. Weisenberg said, it's a tried and true tactic used by Joe Biden. He filters through his allies in the press. The New York Times or Axios, what he would like Merrick Garland to do or not do. And it's worked well for him, Weisenberg said. When he said he was very frustrated that the DOJ wasn't doing a political prosecution of former President Donald Trump within months, they had raided Mar-a-Lago. And when he says he is very frustrated at anybody going after his son, which has been conveyed not just in an article, but previously, I think he has to be part of the story about why the Department of Justice has gone so easy on Son Hunter. Let me say this. 
We do live in a multi-tiered justice system in the United States. As I said yesterday on this show, I think it's not a two-tiered justice system. I think it's three-tiered. The top tier, it's the easiest one. Actually, it would be number three in the pecking order. That tier is for all Democrats. The second tier is for very important, very wealthy Democrats. And the third level of justice in this Department of Justice is you and me. And they've labeled all of you. I've been labeled for a long time. They keep tweaking the name they give to us. But the bottom line is, if you're a conservative, you're certainly one of those evil, sadistic, Marxist, MAGA Republicans. Even if you're not a Republican, which I ain't, they've got me pegged in that class. Probably you too. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's for Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> You pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like... Uh, wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like and finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction such a primal feeling Ooh! download raid shadow legends play for free welcome to mcdonald's may i take your order hi can i get a Can I get a... Uh, okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can uh, I get a... Uh, 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 go, Bubba, go! Uh, Bubba, go! Uh, Pick me! No, pick me! Uh, Bubba, go! Hey, can I get a... Uh, Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... It's going to be a question about what you really feel in your heart. You've got it in your head. Maybe you've obsessed about it in the past. And you feel you really need to come to a concrete uh, solution, answer to the question for yourself, but you're afraid to admit one of the answers. 
What's the question, Dan? Do you feel, are you confident, are you above the 50-50 mark in your belief that money in Washington, D.C. flows in the streets and everything, every decision that's made in the U.S. Congress, that's made in the White House, every situation, everything you hear about, no matter what the outcome of the question is in our government operations, there's money involved, under-the-table money. Remember this, the love of money, Jesus said, is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of of money, and we know money flows down the streets of Washington, D.C. It's in the streets. Anybody that wears that big D on their forehead in some way is eligible to pick up some of that money. I ask myself that question all the time. I honestly, at my core, I believe corruption is everywhere, especially financial corruption in D.C. I think there are very honest people that when they run for office, especially in the House of Representatives, those are the two-year termers, and the structure of our forefathers was to get these residents of towns and villages to voluntarily give up two years of their life to go to Washington, serve in the U.S. House of Representatives as representatives for the small folks. It was no big deal for people from big cities like New York and Chicago and then L.A. and Oregon and Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Atlanta. Those are easy. Everybody knows money flows in those streets. But what about the other ones? Now, where am I going with this? Let me give you an example. A former FBI counterintelligence official, we've heard him in various stories, especially through the early Trump years, Charles McGonagall, he pled guilty to aiding a Russian oligarch in exchange for what? Money. And this story is coming out of the Wall Street Journal. McGonagall was sentenced to four years in federal prison, fined 40 grand in a Manhattan court. I recognize more than ever that I betrayed the confidence and trust of those close to me. This is McGonagall during his sentencing. For the rest of my life, I'll be fighting to regain that trust. Now, let me tell you why he said that. That's grandiose. He confessed. Oh, my gosh, we hate it for him. Listen to some details here. He was initially arrested in January because of his connections to Oleg Deripaska, a sanctioned Russian oligarch who he accepted payments from, for what? To collect open source research against a political rival. McGonagall was also charged for accepting a paltry little $225,000 in payments from a former Albanian intelligence officer, which he is expected to face sentencing for Valentine's Day. (laughs) $225,000. And 40000 Combine those two, just over a quarter million. Now, that, to me, is a lot of money. Now, 250000 is actually two hundred sixty. It doesn't go very far nowadays. I mean, it really doesn't. But you can buy a couple of really nice cars. You can pay a big chunk toward your child's college tuition. But that's chicken change to the operations in D.C. 
former FBI agent Jim DiOrio, he said about McGonagall, I have no patience or sympathy for this guy. He saw an opportunity and he took advantage of it. Now, McGonagall, the reason you would have heard his name, he was involved in that Crossfire Hurricane probe, also known, famously named by former President Trump as Russiagate. Crossfire Hurricane turned into a 22-month, $32 million investigation that ultimately found no evidence at all that Trump colluded with Russia to swing the 2016 election in his favor. And people on the left are still saying Russians elected Trump. McGonagall was also, an, and don't go, don't be guilty of thinking that, yeah, Russia was part of Joe Biden winning the White House too. Either one of those could mean the same thing. You and I don't know. We didn't see the evidence. We were told what the evidence was. McGonagall was also involved in a classified defensive briefing that was given to the attorneys of presidential candidate Hillary Clinton back in 2015. That was in what's called a clear double standard by the Department of Justice by Republican South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham back in 2020. Earlier in his career, this is a guy that didn't just pop up. McGonagall was one of two agents, FBI agents, who stopped the plot to bomb the New York City Metro in 1997. He also helped in the FBI's post-9-11 investigation, stayed in the city to work on a task force that was focused on foreign terror threats in New York City. So this guy was really committed. He was all in for the government, all in for the FBI, until he found out, cha-ching, 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 is very possible, especially if you're a well-thought-of investigator in the FBI. I'm not dramatizing it. It is the way it is. Let me ask you this. Have you noticed the last, what, 10 days? We've not been battered every day with a bunch of stories coming out of the southern border. Oh, they're having record 10, 12,000 daily illegals crossing into the nation. Just think about what a big story that would have been 10 years ago. Today, nah, just another day in South Texas. But guess what we discovered? from an internal Department of Homeland Security memo. What could be confirmed by this government to be the most effective way to stop illegal immigrants from coming into our nation? Now, DHS memo, that tells you. Who's in charge? Homeland Security. Well, he's in charge of the Homeland Security. Alejandro Mayorkas. Border walls are the most effective tool to stop illegal immigrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. And guess where that comes from? An investigative report commanded to be developed by Alejandro Mayorkas. Border walls are the most effective. This memo was conducted in June of 2017 for then-acting Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Kevin McLeanan. It was obtained and reviewed by the Immigration Reform Law Institute following 
one of those nasty FOIA records requests. <laughs> That's where you can legally go make the government give you access to something like this that maybe you suspect, according to the officials, the internal memo looked at 25 areas at the border, ultimately recommended the construction of a border wall in every area, 25 different areas. Don't you know that went over well? Now, this was in the first few months of Donald Trump's presidency. Put that in context. And by the way, in the same report, a border wall was found to be the most cost-effective tool for the DHS to deter illegal immigration. I'm going to quote the report. For every area of the southwest border examined, the audit determined that a physical barrier was not only the best option for disrupting irregular migration, but also the most cost-effective as compared to alternatives like electronic sensors. That memo directly contradicts Joe Biden's claims that border walls are a waste of money and not a serious policy solution. A guy named Dale Wilcox, he's the executive director of this firm that got this information through that FOIA request. He said, this is vindication of those who were disparaged by this administration for their support of physical barriers at the border. So, Joe has another reason he needs to get back off of his stump across the nation blaming those evil Republicans or stopping him to be able to redevise our southern border legislation. And, of course, what we've got to do is do it his way. Our representatives, they don't need to represent us. They need to represent Joe Biden and the hard left Democrat Party. Those are the ones that want open borders, period. While Biden canceled all the border wall construction immediately after he took office back in 21, his administration has planned to build an additional wall in Stark County, Texas. We've told you that for months. Why? Because of waves of illegal immigration in that reason. A border wall system makes practical and financial sense, Wilcox said. And of course, Joe canceled the wall construction on day one. And that is, according to Wilcox, a catastrophic mistake. We need immigration policies that serve America, not the radical anti-borders activists that have far too much influence over this White House. And Wilcox said canceling this border wall construction was just the first in a steer in a series of catastrophic mistakes on immigration by Joe Biden. Just to note, during Trump's tenure, he built about 400 miles of border wall, 80 miles of which were built in places along the border where there were no prior barriers even existed. The remaining 290, 300 miles of border wall were built to replace old barriers. The overwhelming majority of the nearly 2,000-mile-long southern border, that's more than 60%, has no physical barriers separating the U.S. US from Mexico. In the middle of this record-setting illegal immigration, 
under Biden, Americans now more than ever support a border wall. In October, one poll revealed four out of seven registered voters supported the DHS building additional border wall. Americans who are justifiably concerned about border security should be asking themselves why Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas are so eager to stop the construction of physical barriers on the southern border. And everybody knows the answer to that. They want to fill the nation and are doing a darn good job of doing just that. Fill the nation with illegals that they know they can control everything. How can they do that? They pay for them to come here. They promise them and they give them taxpayer, that's you and me, paid health care. They get free education. They get free housing. They get free daycare. Well, it's not free to anybody but those illegals that came in here. And by the way, they're also given a free ride on being held culpable for their breaking the law by entering this nation illegally. Now, in the old days, you know, when people in the White House, they believed in the rule of law and enforcing those laws and holding accountable everybody that breaks those laws. Is this going to stand? Are the American people going to let this stand? Now, we hear all the time from polling from, I don't know, every polling agency, the support, the mental support for members of Congress is in the teens. And it never gets over 15, 16%. And every once in a while, it dips down into single digits. But they don't care. It doesn't matter. They feel this way. It doesn't matter what the people think. As long as they've got the power to make laws and either enforce the laws or not enforce the laws, all coupled together, it's the Congress, Democrats in the Congress, and Democrats in the White House. That's all that they have or need to have in their corner to do all of these things or not do the things that they don't want to. You and me, we're an afterthought. We're just an afterthought. All they need us for is to make sure that we vote. So even if they're not going to manipulate that vote, it's going to be there. And therefore, that means we're not cheating. We're not manipulating voting. Did you get your vote? Did it get counted? Uh, See, those evil MAGA Republicans are making all Americans or millions of Americans believe that This southern border thing is illegal. It's wrong. They have no heart. They don't care about other people. Got a big story coming out of Europe this morning, and it has to do with something nobody, I didn't, I can't say nobody, but nobody I know of thought would ever happen regarding the European Union, which compasses Ukraine over there. Think about it. The stuff that's going on between Russia and and Ukraine, it impacts dozens of other countries in Europe. So one would think, every American would think, that in this quest to get enough money put together to help Ukraine get the resources they need to go ahead and win this war against Russia, that the European Union would be all in. Oh, yeah, we've got to make sure Vladimir Putin, if he wins Ukraine... That's just the beginning of where he's headed. He's going to come to us. 
So we've got to pull together, put our pennies and dimes and nickels together and come up with a big check, a big number to give Volodymyr Zelensky. I still struggle saying Volodymyr. Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, just left the U.S. Joe gave him $2 million more million worth of stuff, but Joe can't get the big money from Congress that he wants. And the EU weighed in yesterday about that. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent Conversation. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Now, I teased you about what's going on with the European Union and their support for Ukraine before I give you that information and what has been said. Here in the United States, Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Ben Cardin yesterday said that sending financial aid and military aid and assistance to Ukraine is more important than our border security. Hmm, wonder where he got that. Since the Ukraine-Russia war began back in 2022 now, the U.S. has provided over $75 billion in aid. That's cash. Republicans have opposed Senate Democrats' proposal of $61 billion in an aid package to Israel unless it's accompanied by border security reforms amid a surge in illegal immigration at the U.S. southern border with Mexico that we've never seen before. Ukraine said Senator Cardin in response to a question about which priority was more important, Ukraine or Israel. Republicans in Congress have accused Democrats of being insufficiently concerned with border security. House Speaker Mike Johnson said that Republicans, quote, first condition on any national security supplemental spending package is our own nation's security first. Cardin said that he would support a package that accommodates border security measures, 
which appears necessary to get the support of the Republican-controlled House. There's a group negotiating today for a bipartisan package that addresses the challenges we have at our border. I'm okay with that. I don't want it to stop the supplemental from passing, said Ben Cardin. I would prefer it to be in different packages, but its agreement reached in this package is bipartisan. I'll be okay with it. He said that a compromise on asylum law may be possible. I think you know border security is important. I think we need to do border security. So I recognize there are a lot of people coming to our border, many of whom are seeking asylum and are not qualified, he said. I'd like to be able to make those determinations a lot quicker so people know that they're not going to just walk into America and if they don't have the proper reasons to be able to get entry into the country and that determinations are made quickly. House Republicans, it's just like always, House Republicans blame Democrats in the House. They blame Democrats in the Senate. And the opposite of that is applicable as always. They blame each other. It's those evil Republicans. No, it's those horrible Marxist Democrats. Very seldom do we see any consensus on very important issues. And our border security is primo important. So House Republicans criticize the Senate for failing to pass its bill, H.R. 2, known as the Secure the Border Act, that they put in place back in May, Republicans did. The bill, which orders the construction of a border wall begun during the Trump administration and reforms asylum policies as well, it's just totally opposed by Democrats. For almost three years, the Biden administration, supported by liberal Dems, has allowed our southern border to become a national security nightmare. That's according to Senator Lindsey Graham. Every day that goes by without a border, a secure border, the chance for another 9-11 goes up. We want to reach a middle ground with Republicans on the border. It's important, but we cannot waste time on something like H.R. 2, which every single Democrat voted against, which could never pass in the Senate, while the clock is ticking to get Ukraine the help it so desperately needs. That's from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. He said that yesterday. And he, in a very grandiose way, made a point as Republicans left Washington, D.C. yesterday for the holidays. Chucky Boy got up and he said, the Senate's going to remain in session all of next week. Why? Because we're senators, we're Democrats, we're better than Republicans. Supposedly, they're staying to reach a compromise and pass a bill, which they haven't. And the Republicans passed H.R. 2 back in May. So, without question, listen to what I'm about to tell you. The U.S. Senate Democrats, they think, they think and feel that you and I are obligated to ante up a bunch of more money, more than the $75 billion we've already ponied up for Ukraine. And by the way, not a one dime of that $75 billion do we know for certain what it was used for or whose pockets it went into. They refuse to let anybody audit the use of all those billions of our tax dollars. 
I'm like Mike Johnson. We're not going to give them another dime unless we have the ability to audit the way our money is being used. That would sound like something that would just be automatic. I mean, Vladimir Zelensky, he comes over here and he says, here's what I need. Bam, 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 bam. I need this amount for this, this amount for this, this amount for this. And if you give us this amount, the total, we're going to spend it to beat Vladimir Putin. And by the way, do you know that Putin has lost through death in this Ukraine war 345,000 Russian military members. They're dead. One would think that Russia would be licking their chops to get this behind them. Let's go back to Ukraine. There is something going on in Ukraine. There is something Volodymyr Zelensky's doing. He's out on the stump. He's asking every country that he can get leaders to talk to. He's asking them for more money. So besides the United States, the entirety of the European Union, all those nations that are in it, you would think they would be willing to pony up because, I mean, after all, Ukraine's right as part of that part of Europe and Russia's just a little bit over to the northeast. You would think those folks would be all in for whatever Ukraine needed to beat Russia. Early this morning, while you were sleeping, we were up and awake, and we listened to this television story about what the EU did yesterday regarding a big bucket, $30 billion more of financial aid to Ukraine. European Union leaders have failed to reach an agreement on a new financial aid package for Ukraine, which remains blocked by Hungary. It comes after Kyiv's significant political victory yesterday when the EU unexpectedly agreed to open membership talks. And for more on this, let's bring in Bloomberg's Zoltan Shimon from Budapest. Zoltan, these were pretty surprising developments at the EU summit last night. All eyes on Orban. Was any of it expected? I don't think so. Uh, Orban went into this summit saying there is no way he would allow the EU to open accession talks on Ukraine memberships. Uh, and at the end of the day or end of the night, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Orban didn't himself vote. He actually left the room uh, to allow for a unanimous decision among the 26 remaining uh, leaders in the room. Uh, so that was not to be expected. Uh, what Orban did say was that he would be flexible and he would be ready to do a deal on aid to Ukraine. And at the end of the uh, night, that's exactly what Hungary did block. So what's his rationale? Uh, on Ukraine aid, uh, he basically says that he wants the aid to go not through amending the uh, EU's long-term budget, uh, but rather via other means. Uh, so basically, it's uh, it appears to be a somewhat, in, in some ways, a technical objection. But his rationale is is that he, the EU is still block, blocking two thirds of the aid of funding earmarked for Hungary uh, that's been suspended on rule of law concerns. And he says, if Ukraine is going to get money from that budget, then Hungary should get all of it as well. And yes, it feels significant that the talks about Ukraine's EU membership have been given the green light to start. But if you look back at history, 
this could take a long time, couldn't it? How long uh, do we need to hold our breath here? Yes, I think it's it's going to take many years. Uh, and Orban said that you know while the EU did uh, give a green light to start accession talks with Ukraine, he said there will be plenty of times when he can still wield the veto and potentially block progress on that. But you know, Hungary for Hungary it took about a decade to join the EU, uh, and and it's going to take a long time for for Ukraine as well for sure. So it's more a symbolic move uh, yesterday from the EU on that front. So, basically, it's symbolic. It has no substance to it. I mean, the, the, um, the group of countries that are in the European Union, they're all really, really different. Same thing is true of NATO. Now, NATO is basically aligned to be involved in more military issues of their fellow members remember their unifying message and the commitment they've all made since NATO was built is that if any NATO nation is attacked, that attack is against the whole of NATO and every member NATO nation is required to join in and help those members of NATO that were attacked. Now, they voted, NATO voted, to eventually allow Ukraine in but they made it very clear that will not happen until after the Russia-Ukrainian war is completed and Ukraine has won that war. The European Union is a whole different thing, but nevertheless, it's still the overarching big, big brother of Ukraine. And Ukraine sits right in the middle of the European Union. And you would think, as I said going into this, this story, those countries would jump up and down to give their support financially especially so that they don't get sucked into that war with Ukraine against Russia. That's what one would think. But what's going on there? I can tell you what's going on there. There's no doubt in my mind there is suspicion that a lot of the money previously given by the EU and probably the United States and other countries to Ukraine, it's being spent at least in part for otherwise than indicated and promised. It's being used for things besides the war. We do know, for instance, the United States money that went to Ukraine is paying the payrolls of companies in Ukraine. We're paying politicians in Ukraine. We're paying their salaries that the government doesn't have because of what's going on in this war. We're paying that. Did anybody ask you if you were supportive of that before it happened? Hey, when you get in trouble personally in your job, in your family, does the government of Canada ever come in and help you pay your bills? No. Now, should we be doing that? Absolutely not. But guess what? We are. Put that in the context of what we just said previously about Volodymyr Zelensky coming with his handout. Republicans make it very clear we're not going to give Ukraine any more money unless Democrats will give up total 
all-in policies about our southern border, which their all-in policies that they need to give up, is we'll let anybody. In fact, we just won't let them in. We'll encourage them to come in, and we'll pay them for perpetuity for all their living expenses if they get here. They're just going to have to, when we get them the right to vote, they're going to have to vote Democrat at every election. I get tired of even bringing that up. It's so unbelievably easy to see. And then now we have this conflict, this war going on between Israel and Hamas. And yesterday, some bad news coming out of the White House. You're not going to believe this. Kamala, who could very easily be the next president of the United States, depending on how Joe's health and mental cognitive decline plays out. She is lobbying for Palestinians, not Israel, Palestinians. And this is happening as Joe Biden is getting kind of squishy on Israel. Biden's under a bunch of pressure from Democrat base to force Israel into a ceasefire in Gaza. And one of those who is lobbying hard on behalf of the Palestinian side is his underling, VP Kamala Harris. Now, this is coming out of Politico, so you know it's honest. They never lie. <laughs> they never lie. According to a Politico report, Kamala has been telling colleagues in the administration she wants the White House to show more concerned publicly for the humanitarian damage in Gaza and has urged her boss to show more sensitivity to Palestinian civilians, citing three anonymous sources that, of course, here's the line that Politico and every other leftist rag uses. That's according to anonymous sources familiar with Harris's comments. Politico reports one person close to the VP says that she is calling for Biden to be tougher on Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, who has been a frequent target of anger from the anti-Semitic left, including from congressional Democrats, especially the group of Israel haters known as the Squad, who have demanded action from the president. You cannot in any way realistically, ethically, politically, as an American in government, you can't not toss out the fact that Hamas in the middle of the night on October the 7th slaughtered indiscriminately 1,200 Jews in Israel. Kamala Harris hadn't said anything about that. Joe Biden has, but he's back and forth. He's in, he's out. He's for, he's against. Kamala now, she drew her perpetual line in the sand and says, I'm all in for the Palestinian people. Well, you know who's not all in for the Palestinian people? Hamas. Oh, they love the Palestinian national people because, first of all, they can do whatever they want to to those people. They can force those people, the civilians over there, to do whatever they want them to do. They can rape them just like they raped and slaughtered Israeli women. They can steal, they can kill, they can take, they can do anything they want. And Kamala wants that to be who the American people come out and support. 
Forget about the indiscriminate slaughter of those Israelis. There's something that I think is actually positive that is going to come out of Kamala Harris making these statements. And you know what it is? The core of the United States, look at her and look at who and why she's supporting the Palestinian slash Hamas terrorist thugs. Instead of supporting the Israeli people, it's going to keep her from ever going to the White House other than to clean out a desk there if she's got one place in the White House where she leaves her stuff when she comes over there. Biden suggested the Jewish nation is losing its support over the ongoing operation to eliminate the terrorist presence in Gaza. And of course, the only reason they're doing that is because Hamas, is they've just vowed they're going to kill every, every Jew anywhere on earth. They are all targets. If you're Jewish, and they're not anti-Semites, they just hate every Jew. They don't think Judaism itself, they don't think the nation, they don't think Israeli citizens, even if they're converted to Christian Israeli citizens, just because of who they are. Listen, you don't have any control over if you're born into a Jewish family or a Christian family or any family. It is what it is. When you're born, you're born, and you come from a mom and a dad that they came from, their moms and dads. Nobody has a choice before birth to be anything. Boy, I remember all of the decades in my life when we have been forced to swallow wholeheartedly anything and everything that anybody throws out there that needs to change regarding racial discrimination. You can call it racial discrimination. You can call it whatever you want to call it. Racism, folks, it's not biological. People choose to hold that and make it theirs. And I'm not just talking about whites and blacks. I'm talking about people from every type of religion, ethnic origin, nation of origin, religion. It doesn't matter. If you want to hate somebody, that's a choice you make. If you want to believe and support equality, equal opportunity, and ability to share the same opportunities with anybody else, regardless of of anything to do with race. Those are choices that they make. So how do you think AOC feels about Israel? I'll ask it a different way. How do you think AOC feels about Hamas and what they did to those Jewish civilians? Basically, I haven't heard anything come out of their mouths that show any support for the people that were killed, slaughtered, and are still being attacked every day just because of who they are. And if Israel, if Israel had done what Hamas did in the middle of the night, I'd feel the same way. I would be supporting the people that the Israelis slaughtered. The only explanation is 
the one only plausible explanation is the one that Benjamin Netanyahu, prime minister, has been making all along. Hamas has vowed to and has done it in all of their history. Every chance that they get, they slaughter and kill indiscriminately any Jew that they come in contact with. And they say it over and over and over again. We're not going to give up until we get control from the river to the sea, from the western bank of the Jordan River on the northeast side of Israel all the way to the left towards the Mediterranean Sea. Every inch of ground between the beaches on the Mediterranean Sea and the banks of the Jordan River, they want every Jew to be eliminated from. That is who Kamala Harris has come out and is supporting. And not only that, she's politicking her boss to come out against, vocally, to come out against Israel and somehow squeeze Benjamin Netanyahu to stop this indiscriminate slaughter of the Hamas people. Netanyahu made it very obvious, very open, very literal. He told us what he was going to do when all this began to happen. There's never been on earth a slaughter of 1,200 people overnight, anything close to what Hamas did on October 7th. And Netanyahu and most of the people in Israel understand that as long as Hamas exists, they're going to keep coming back after Israel, slaughtering Jews as much as they can. In fact, even in the middle of all this, the leaders of Hamas continue to do it publicly. They make it very clear, we're never going to stop until every Jew is dead. So why do people expect that it's okay and want Benjamin Netanyahu, any of the other leaders in Israel, to just fold their arms and say, okay, we're going to back off. We've heard you. We've watched you do it. We've seen you slaughter innocent Jews indiscriminately for no reason other than their origin. And you promise that you're going to keep on doing it in spite of all that. We're just going to go back to the store, open up, and hope you don't come kill us. What world does that work in? I don't know of a single one. Let's get away from this. Let's go to something more important. Maybe uh, gun control. Gun control. And where's this coming from, Dan? Yeah, there is gun control stuff going on. The Supreme Court stepped into the middle of it this week, and it's kind of spooky what they did. Illinois has crafted laws regarding what they call those weapons of mass destruction. They're not. They're semi-automatic long guns. AR-15s is the model of choice. And they... Illinois passed a law that forces every person in Illinois that owns one of those evil weapons of mass destruction, they register it with the state and also register any of the ammunition they have for those AR-15s and also the type of clip that they have. It's formally, it's a magazine. It's what you put the bullets in. 
that as you shoot one, this magazine automatically loads another bullet in the chamber to shoot it again. They passed it. It's very controversial, as you can only imagine. But that case was taken all the way to the Supreme Court. Listen to this. And a victory for Governor Pritzker on assault weapons. The Supreme Court clears the way for enforcement of a statewide registry of those weapons and their accessories. And the decision means the clock is ticking for gun owners to log their information with Illinois State Police. This is FOID card holders continue to wait for the official rules to be written. A major victory for Governor J.B. Pritzker, the U.S. Supreme Court refusing to block Illinois' ban on assault weapons and large-capacity magazines. This is not only uh, a uh, legal undertaking, an appropriate undertaking um, to keep and safeguard the people of the state of Illinois, but a constitutional one, too. The ban took effect January 1st of this year, halting sales of select weapons, including the semi-automatic firearm used in the Highland Park Parade shooting. The decision, a defeat for a Naperville gun store owner who challenged the law, means that Illinoisans who bought assault weapons before January 1st of this year must register them before January 1st of next year. The reality is that most people really do understand these rules. And by the way, people are actually signing up, uh, registering their automatic uh, assault weapons. As of this month, only 6,000 gun owners filed disclosures with ISP ahead of the January deadline, a fraction of the more than 2 million FOID card holders in the state. Nobody is getting, uh, you know, charged, arrested. As you know, the first uh, commission of a violation is a misdemeanor if it even gets charged. The second uh, violation, however, is a felony. Lawmakers in Springfield have yet to release a final set of rules for registering firearms and accessories. Pritzker says one is coming. There's another meeting of JCAR coming in January. I, I really expect that there's a, a, a widespread understanding of what people need to do. And to the exceptions, I would just argue, you'll know the answers. Now, this isn't the last expected challenge to the state's assault weapons ban. The controversial law could be back before the Supreme Court as early as next year. I was shocked when I heard that the U.S. Supreme Court went ahead and greenlighted this local state law. Honestly, I own an AR-15. In fact, I have several other semi-automatic weapons. I think about, this is Louisiana. There's a lot of hunting. I grew up in South Louisiana. We hunted and fished. If it moved and is edible, I can promise you in my lifetime, I hunted it with the exception of deer. I've never killed, I've never shot at, never killed a deer. I look at deer and I don't I don't put them in the same class as an animal really. They seem more human like to me. And looking at those beautiful creatures and thinking about squeezing the trigger, I just I can't do it. But I've I've shot and killed everything else you can imagine. Nutra rat, a skunk's now never eaten skunk. Uh ducks, of course, dove, possums. Raccoons, you can go on and on and on. It's South Louisiana, folks, a lot of indigent people, poor people down there. But people that are in the middle of country that is full of wildlife. And when they see an animal walking across the road in the middle of the night or they're out in the woods doing something and they see another animal, that that's that's a meal. 
And many people, in it's, it's not just in South Louisiana, it's across the country. There's nothing wrong with using something. And it's a whole lot better if you look at it as food and you kill it and clean it and you actually eat it. That makes a whole lot more sense than does shooting it, leave, leaving it out just to rot away and there's no practical use of that. That's kind of a, a slap in the face of Mother Nature. All that being said, I can't even imagine how I would feel if the state of Louisiana did what Governor Pritzker did and the Supreme Court at least greenlighted it so far, the law that requires every semi-automatic gun owner, AR-15 style gun or literally AR-15s to be registered. Why would they want those registered? What is the only applicable application for doing that? And you and I both know what it is. You open the front door and the cops are there. We came to seize your registered AR-15 semi-automatic and all of the peripherals you have for it. On what ground, sir? The law that says it must be registered. Well, I registered my guns and my magazines and even my scope. I registered those. Yep, that's how we knew it was here. Well, why are you here? Your neighbors have complained numerous times saying you are threatening them when they want you to do something or not do something. You're threatening them that you are armed at all times. And we're here to take that gun away from you because they feel that they're in danger just because you have told them that repeatedly and you live next door to them. We can't allow that to happen. That's already happened. It's already happened. And that, my friends, is the epitome of the opposite of what the Second Amendment was written for in the first place. In fact, not in the Constitution, but in conversations and speeches after that, our forefathers even mentioned the purpose for protecting all American citizens forever, that they have the right to own and to bear guns. They can arm themselves for self-defense. However they see it is supposed to play out. And of course, people like Joe Biden, they come back. He was giving a speech somewhere about gun control, those evil weapons of mass destruction, weapons of war. He's been a big proponent to grab them and take them away from Americans for decades. And he he said, somebody made the point, that the reason our forefathers made sure we had the right to own and bear arms was to protect us, not just against each other and wrongdoing, but to protect us against the government. And Biden laughingly responded and saying, you can come after me or come after us with your weapons. We're going to come after you with fighter jets and tanks. You think you can beat our government? I'm paraphrasing it, but that's what he said. That's the reason why the Second Amendment is so important. And right now today, Chicago has, according to the U.S. Supreme Court, the right to do that and force it on citizens in Illinois. 
I've never thought, I've, I've spent a lot of time in, in Illinois, in, in the Chicago area, work, been there like, love the city, I love the food there, I love the atmosphere in many respects. Saw a really good off-Broadway play there that turned into a really good Broadway play in New York. So it's a great place. But under these circumstances, this would be the final straw for me. I'm not going to live under the fear of the government coming and taking away my sole source of self-defense. And especially in this environment we live in, Oh my gosh, I don't want my government controlling anything in my life. I don't trust them, first of all, and they're unable to even do the things they're supposed to be doing now according to the laws they're supposed to enforce. What makes me think they would actually protect me and that I would never need my means of constitutional defense of myself? We're going to take a break And we're not going to leave Illinois. On the other side of this break, there's more egregious news coming out of Illinois. And this news is regarding pro-choice and pro-life. That's next. Mr. Rippermoff. Yes, Dorothy. A reporter and crew from New Center 7 Wastebusters are here to see you, sir. New Center 7. Wastebusters. They expose mind-boggling waste of taxpayers' money right here in the Miami Valley. What do they want with me? They said you sold the government a ballpoint pen, sir. So? For $1,000. Well, it came with refills. And a jar of paper clips for $2,000. They were multicolored paper clips. Uh-huh. Red ones, blue ones. What should I tell the Wastebusters, sir? Do they have lights and cameras? And the ballpoint pen, sir. Tell them I went out my window, down the fire escape, and then booked down the street screaming like a madman. I don't think they'll believe that, sir. Mr. Ripamoff? Watch News Center 7 expose government waste right here in the Miami Valley and see the Waste Busters in action. You can't escape them, sir. They're the Waste Busters. News Center 7 Waste Busters. Weeknights at 6. Coverage you can count on. They'll find him. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... (laughs) Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. For over 70... (laughs) What are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Gecko. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, before the show is over today, I am going to give you the latest update on what we reported to you yesterday, late in the show, 
about our buddy Steve Baker. Um, looks like he's going to be prosecuted for January 6th stuff. But I'll give you more details before we leave the air. Back to Chicago and what I tease going into this. Judge Lane D. Johnston previously said that a state law in Chicago that was to block the targeting of pro-life pregnancy counseling, not abortions, said that state law was both stupid and very likely unconstitutional. But a federal judge has permanently blocked an Illinois law on December 14th that he previously called stupid that targets maternal health care centers and sidewalk counselors for expressing their pro-life message. State of Illinois consented to an injunction and the dismissal of the underlying lawsuit filed against it. Plaintiffs who sued to stop the law, they objected to it because it declared that the pro-life speech engaged in by Pregnancy Help Ministries was a deceptive business practice. They litigated to protect the right of pro-life pregnancy help centers and those sidewalk counselors across the state to continue their work reaching out to women across the land of Lincoln facing unplanned pregnancies. So, in comes Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker again, a Democrat. He appeared on CNN back in August to defend the law. The statute is constitutional, the governor argued at the time. Here's what he said. Well, it's just like the case against President Donald Trump. You have a right to free speech, but you don't have a right to lie. And you know what? That's not true. You do (laughs) under the First Amendment. You don't have a right to use those lies to push people into situations in which they frankly are breaking the law or where they are unaware of what their full rights are. So you know we need to make sure that people know what their rights are. The law, here's what it did. It barred so-called crisis pregnancy centers from using misinformation, deceptive practices, or even misrepresentation in order to interfere with access to abortion services or emergency contraceptions. Now, this is according to Pritzker, the governor, and his office. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raul, a Democrat, previously said the now-enjoined law was needed because he had witnessed a deceptive crisis pregnancy center tactics firsthand when he visited a tour at a Planned Parenthood health center in Illinois. There were people who appeared as though they might work there outside attempting to divert patients away from the health center. Judge Ian Johnson of the Western District of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Illinois, but that's a long title. He issued the document titled Agreed Permanent Injunction Order in National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Raul. Judge Johnston was appointed in 2022 by President Trump. So the defendant, Mr. Raul, was sued in his official capacity. Founded in 1993, NILFA, this not-for-profit organization, quote, provides pro-life pregnancy centers and medical clinics with legal counsel, education, and training, according to the group's website. 
The judge dismissed the lawsuit with prejudice, meaning the case cannot be litigated again. The court shall retain jurisdiction over this action to enforce final judgment. It's what the order states. The order also states that NILFA may file a motion seeking the cost of litigation, including reasonable attorney's fees and expenses. On August 4th, Judge Johnston called SB 1909, the Illinois Consumer Fraud and Deceptive Businesses Practices Act, uh, both stupid and very likely unconstitutional, when he signed a preliminary injunction halting its enforcement. In that August order, Judge Johnston ridiculed the state law. The late state, excuse me, the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia once said that he wished all federal judges were given a stamp that read stupid but constitutional. SB 1909 is stupid because its own supporter admitted it was unneeded and was unsupported by evidence when he challenged. It's likely unconstitutional because it is a blatant example of government taking the side of whose speech is sanctionable and whose speech is immunized. SB 1909 is likely classic content and viewpoint discrimination prohibited by the First Amendment. The kind of speech regulated by the law is extremely controversial, and the law itself is not a constitutional regulation of professional speech. Plaintiffs have established by undisputed evidence that they will be irreparably harmed absent the preliminary injunction. Their First Amendment rights will more than likely be violated, which is an irreparable harm, the judge wrote at the time. A guy named Peter Breen, executive VP of the Thomas More Society, which represented Nilfa in the lawsuit, they weighed in on the permanent injunction in a statement a couple of days ago, two days ago. Mr. Breen hailed the victory as a big win for pro-life ministries and free speech in Illinois that would send a message to those who would enact laws that discriminate against pro-life ministries. The federal court was spot on in holding that SB 1909 is both stupid and very likely unconstitutional. SB 1909 exempts abortion facilities and their speech while exclusively regulating any pro-life organizations and their speech in flagrant violation of the First Amendment. This law is just one of a number of illegal new laws enacted across the country that restrict pro-life speech. We hope this permanent injunction with full attorney's fees serves as a warning to other states that would seek to follow Illinois and try to silence pro-life viewpoints. Here's what I don't understand about this. Most of it, I think I'm kind of in the in the no. I'm okay. I think I got it. But I cannot comprehend in any way how anybody in the context of when life begins, it's undisputed that it is unknown for certain. Well, I know when it begins. It begins at inception. No, 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 no. I know where it begins. It begins as at the birth when a baby takes their first breath. That's the definition of life and when it begins. 
I've heard that my entire life. You have so-called experts on both sides of the argument. People that really know, I mean, medical people, scientists. And there are 500 million who feel like it begins at inception and 500 million that begins, they feel it begins when the baby takes a breath. It's opinion. I am totally pro-life. Totally pro-life. I believe that it begins, life begins at conception. I've always felt that. I'm anti-abortion. I don't think we should weaponize that, either side of that conversation against anybody. But I believe, I know this much, there is a, even if it's not alive yet, by definition, alive meaning breathing on their own outside the womb, even if that's not the case, don't you think it makes more sense to come down on the the side of life because if you abort a baby, you're killing the, the ability, the potential of that baby to live. Nobody can counter that. So where else on earth, where else in your life would you ever come down on the side of it's okay just to kill? Ah, because I have the right to do it. Just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean that you've got to go do it. And the other end of it, I don't want to be part of an abortion and know that someday I'm going to find out. It's a 50-50 chance that when I find out it's going to be that life began at conception and a 50-50 chance I'll hear that it wasn't. I believe that it's going to be, and we'll all eventually find out, that life begins at conception. So why not just go into the default mode that said, let's come down on the side of life. And there's only one reason for that. Somebody wants to exert their opinion to get out of what happens when pregnancy resulted. That's my opinion. And it confirms in my sense of what's right and what's wrong when these hardcore leftists, they just throw away that question that I just posed to you. When does life begin? They just throw it out. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. She doesn't want that baby. It's health care. You're trying to block her health care. Well, hey, (laughs) killing a baby, killing anybody is not health care. just saying, and I know there are some of you out there that you're probably screaming at your computer or your earbuds, <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to offend anybody. And I'm not saying I know. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know for sure when life begins. But when there is a potential life on the way, why not let it decide? Why not let nature decide? Why not let God decide? if that baby should be numbered among us as a living, breathing American person. Just saying. 
There's some other very controversial news today. A Virginia school board member got sworn in on a stack. Listen to this. Sworn into office to serve the people and swore in on a stack of LGBTQ-themed books. Now, there may be increasing pushback on the indoctrination of Americans' impressionable youth into homosexuality and transgenderism by radical left educators, but they remain as determined as ever to push their warped agenda. One example, the battle for the minds of kids is a shocking video of a Fairfax, Virginia school board member that being sworn into office, not on a Bible, but on a stack of LGBTQ-themed books. And some of those books included graphic sexual content. The video of the swearing-in of board member Carl Frisch making a big deal of the supposedly banned books was posted to a social media where it drew a lot of strong reaction from those who were appalled by the in-your-face message that the left's cultural revolution will continue despite the concerns of parents about what their kids are being exposed to in classrooms. Last night, in Virginia Fairfax County School Board member, Carl Frisch was sworn in on a stack of LGBTQ theme books, including one that depicts naked teenager boys. That was on X from Nikki Neely of the grassroots organization Parents Defending Education. Don't forget that the book ban narrative is part of a dishonest political campaign that's aimed at attacking parents, she said. Families wanting age-appropriate material in their children's schools is not book banning. It's common sense. And I think I, uh, I think I agree with that. We're going to get to Steve Baker in just a minute. But let's talk about something along the same line. A former U.S. Capitol Police lieutenant said that Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy got a lot right about the events of January 6th during his very controversial CNN town hall appearance with Abby Phillip, the moderator. Liberal heads melted down after Ramaswamy told CNN's audience that he believed January 6th was an inside job. Whoa. If you had told me that January 6th was in any way an inside job, the subject of government entrapment, I would have told you that was crazy talk. Fringe conspiracy theory. Nonsense. Ramaswamy saying that. I can tell you now, having gone somewhere deep in this, it's not nonsense. The reality is we know that there were federal law enforcement agents in that field. We don't know how many, and Ramaswamy said, I think it's shameful. CNN's own Oliver Darcy had a fit over his network event, allowing Ramaswamy to speak before a live audience. The notion that the infotainer who CNN has reported struggles for relevance as he polls in the low single digits and remains exceedingly unlikely to be the GOP's party nominee deserves an hour-long national platform to sell his personal brand and insidious talking points to the masses tax 
the imagination. That's what he wrote in his newsletter, Oliver Darcy. Why would any major news network help to validate such a preposterous figure by putting him on stage and allowing him to infect the public with his conspiracy campaign? But according to former Lieutenant Tariq Johnson, Vivek Ramaswamy got it right in this interview. I've been saying publicly for a year, J6 was not an insurrection, but not many people would listen. Johnson noted that no one would benefit more than I if J6 was an insurrection, as I, Tariq Johnson, was the commander that ordered and led the evacuations of the Senate and the House during the J6 breach after begging former assistant Chief Pittman for permission to do so as she sat comfortably in the commander's center watching the events unfold on television with Chief Stephen A. Sun. They were obtaining National Guard approval in getting assistance from local law enforcement agencies. Pittman flat out ignored me, so I was forced to forge ahead with the evacuations without obtaining approval from her, he said, Three days later, I decided to call Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont to report Pittman's malfeasance, and about an hour after I got off the phone with the senator, I was contacted by the Capitol Police Internal Affairs section and informed me I was suspended. Now, why are you giving this story? I wanted you to hear that. But this in the context of what is about to happen to our Steve Baker is exactly the same thing. As you know, Steve's been in our studio or online with us the second hour of every Tuesday for the last year and a half. Almost always part of reporting is his investigative results proof on numerous levels that I don't know what the percentage is, but a large percent of all the media reporting on J6, who was involved, who was responsible, what were the purposes, all of those things are being revealed through investigative journalism on the part of Steve Baker and a few others. If you didn't hear what happened, he was notified, his attorney was notified yesterday by the feds that they are going to arrest Steve Baker and he must self-report to the Department of Justice this coming Tuesday. So what is it all about? I've I talked to Steve for a long time this morning. It's coming primarily from the inside reports that he has written and published, and we have published at the same time that he is publishing it as his Blaze Network, his employer in Dallas, Glenn Beck's, a network, naming names with uncontroverted proof of the people, people in many elements, many layers of our government that were involved and have lied about it, testified under oath in federal trials. Those testimonies have been used to put innocent Americans in prison And probably the straw that broke the camel's back was the story that we published, Steve wrote it, on December 12th, just a few days ago. 
Here's what I'm going to do. It's a short story. If you missed it, I'm going to read it to you. Blaze News investigative journalist Steve Baker is alleging he's uncovered major irregularities involving U.S. Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn, the Capitol Police, the press, and a Democrat congressman. What are the details? First off, Baker alleges that Officer Dunn, hailed as a hero after January 6th, is the author of a headline-grabbing anonymous 2021 letter pinned on Capitol Police letterhead, which took issue with minority members of Congress who contended there was no need to form a January 6th commission. The existence of the letter came to light on May 19, 2021, in numerous mainstream media accounts, but not who wrote it. In addition, Baker alleges that U.S. Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, encouraged Dunn to write that letter. Baker told Blaze News that Raskin should have been fully aware that it's a violation of Capitol Police regulations for Dunn to take political stances in representation of the Capitol Police Department. Baker also alleges that, one, Dunn violated many departmental directives against using Capitol Police time and resources for political purposes. Two, the Capitol Police have known Dunn wrote the letter, initiated an investigation on and disciplinary action against Officer Dunn and kept Dunn's connection to the letter from the public. Three, Dunn worked with members of the Capitol press pool in crafting the language of the letter. Four, Dunn's actions likely disqualified him from testifying before the J6 Commission and in the Oath Keepers trial, and his actions were kept from attorneys for the Oath Keepers. Bradford L. Geyer, an attorney who represented now-imprisoned Oath Keeper Kenneth Harrelson, issued a pointed statement to Blade News about these allegations. And here's Geyer's letter. Similar to Steve Baker's exposure of the fabricated testimony by David Lazarus, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn also provided inaccurate testimony that led to the wrongful conviction of innocent Americans, including Sergeant Kenneth Harrelson, retired. The impact of this false testimony on the trial cannot be overstated, and regrettably, neither individual has faced any repercussions for corrupting the justice process. It's almost a stroke of luck that Dunn was allowed to testify. As I had anticipated, the line prosecutors handling the case were likely unaware that Dunn had received support from the D.C. press corps in crafting and spreading that letter, which was designed to appear as an official communication. This alone should have been a firing offense. Geyer said that talking to Blaze News, and he added that despite their serial lies, both Harry Dunn and Agent Lazarus were commended while wrongly convicted Americans still languish in prison. The U.S. Capitol Police, Dunn and Jamie Raskin's office on Monday, did not reply immediately to Blaze News' request for comment regarding Baker's allegations. And by the way, as of this morning, 6 a.m. Central Time, they still hadn't responded. Baker outlined in a pair of X threads last week what he noted his investigation uncovered. So what else? 
CNN published a story about the quote-unquote anonymous letter on May 19th of 2021, noting significantly that the letter was not an official statement from the Capitol Police and that a Capitol Police spokesman said the department does not know where the letter came from. That's a lie. The U.S. Capitol Police does not take positions on legislation, the department said in a statement that CNN quoted. CNN also said it spoke to the officer who wrote the letter and claimed it represented the view of 40 to 50 officers. While CNN didn't reveal the identity of the officer, the cable news network quoted the officer as saying, quote, it needed to be out there. It needed to be done. CNN added that it could not independently verify the other officers supported the letter. What's more, CNN noted in its May 19, 2021 story that Representative Raskin's chief of staff circulated the anonymous letter to other chiefs of staff with a note saying, quote, Mr. Raskin has been in discussions with several rank-and-file Capitol Police officers who are his constituents. He has listened to them describe their physical and emotional traumas, which for some have led to months of mental anguish. CNN also reported that the note said, attached is a letter from unnamed officers who remain anonymous because they are afraid of retribution for speaking out about their profound disappointment in the current politics surrounding the vote on the January 6th commission. Mr. Raskin is hoping your bosses will read this letter and consider the sentiments behind it before the vote. Anything else? Baker's first January 6th analysis came in October, following countless hours in a House subcommittee office looking at frame after frame of January 6th closed-circuit video, and it had him wondering, did the security chief for then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial? Soon after, the slow pace of getting an unrestricted look at everything recorded on the video prompted Blaze Media Editor-in-Chief Matthew Peterson's appeal to House Speaker Mike Johnson to release all the videos. On November 17th, Johnson did just that. Baker's investigative efforts also resulted in two additional analyses, both focusing on Dunn, titled January 6th and the N-word that wasn't, and Harry Dunn's account of January 6th does not add up at all. We published that story on the 12th. That's three days ago. And if you go to that story, go to truthnewsnet.org, look at J12. And the title of this story is Blaze News Investigative Writer calls foul on hero Capitol cop Harry Dunn, Capitol Police, the press, and Democrat congressman. As you know, if you were here yesterday, Steve sent me a text in the middle of the show, and he said, I was just informed the Department of Justice is about to arrest me. Now, let me give you, we're, we're going to run over a little bit. We already have, but I'm almost done. But I want to tell you this. I talked with Steve for about 30 minutes this morning. He's fine, by the way. He's still in D.C. 
He's been expecting something like this to happen for some time. But here's what initiated it. This story, three days ago, when it was published, the higher-ups at the U.S. Capitol, in the U.S. Capitol Police Force, went postal. Steve was called, invited yesterday, to go meet with those higher-ups in the Capitol Police. When he walked in the room, there is a former federal prosecutor, and I will not say his name. He's known to a lot of people, and he is obviously one of those that has been wrapped up exhaustively in hiding these things that have been released one layer at a time by Steve Baker, Blaze News, and TNN Live over the last six to eight months. This was and is the straw that broke the camel's back. And this guy, he went nuts in this meeting. This attorney is a former federal prosecutor. He left the Department of Justice as a prosecutor to work for and be the legal beagle, the guy in charge of all things legal in the Capitol Police. And he screamed and demanded that Steve Baker give them the identities of all the people that they interviewed to get this information. They never negated the validity of the details of this story. They just want to know who in their own ranks went public and gave all this information that is now circulated around the world. Yesterday afternoon on his Twitter slash X account, Steve wrote the details of just simply what he was notified of that was going to happen yesterday. As of this morning, in fact, I can update it and look right now, but as of this morning, almost 4 million people had read Steve's tweet. Let me look real quick. We'll look together and see what the number's up to. Uh, four point two million people. Americans, here's what's happened, folks, and you know this. Americans that even had minute pieces of knowledge about some of the stuff. Maybe you thought you felt felt like you knew. It was just too much stuff out there to not believe that that was pretty much, at least in large part, if not totally, it was a trap that was set to implicate Donald Trump and every conservative in America that just decided to go to Washington, D.C. They wanted to create the persona of Donald Trump as an insurrectionist that wanted to overthrow the government, throw out the results of the duly elected Joe Biden to be president, throw out those results and install him as the president. There is no question that now there is, there is question, but it is, it is past the 50-50 point. It's probably at 60-40 now. And I'm not talking about what people think. I'm talking about facts, evidence, proven. So those people that Steve met with, interviewed,
those two officers, him bringing this information to the public spectrum, it's going to impact thousands of people's lives. But these two officers that testified before Congress under oath in courtrooms, in trials of dozens of those January 6th people that were named tagged insurrectionists, they're languishing in jail today because of lies that have been proven to be said under oath to send these innocent Americans to prison just because they're conservatives. This kind of stuff could never happen. As we end this show today, let me take you back to 2010. The Justice Department, the Joe Biden, Barack Obama Justice Department, spied extensively on a reporter named James Robin, James Rosen of Fox News. They collected his telephone records. They tracked his movements in and out of the State Department. They seized two days of his personal emails. In a chilling move that was sure to rile defenders of civil liberties, one FBI agent also accused Rosen of breaking anti-espionage law with behavior that, as described in the agent's own affidavit, falls well inside the bounds of traditional news reporting. But facts don't matter when they are on a, a track to do something that might be illegal. If you've got the power and you can do it and you want to do it, just go do it. That's how Washington rolls, right? The revelations surfaced with President Obama's administration already under fire for seizing two months of phone records of reporters and editors at the Associated Press. Obama said he makes no apology for investigations into national security-related leaks. Forget about that First Amendment thing. The AP's CEO, Gray Pruitt, said that the seizure is definitely unconstitutional. The Obama administration prosecuted twice as many leakers. Those are people that didn't leak information illegally. They leaked it within the First Amendment rights. Obama prosecuted twice as many leakers as all previous administrations did combined. Details of the government's strategy against Rosen sound like something out of a spy novel. That, my friends, was the first test of what Steve Baker is living in right now. So this morning, as many of you know, I do a, uh, I'm part of a team that we hold a 6 a.m. Central Time 30-minute prayer meeting online. It's on Facebook, Facebook Live. And this morning, we spent the entire time talking about this, making people realize that this is really happening in our government. We've all suspected it. Steve, this morning when I talked to him, we prayed together. I encouraged him. I told him that you and I, you that are listening now, we're in this with him to the end. We're going to support him in every way we can. We're going to pray for him everywhere we can. I have connected him personally with House Speaker Mike Johnson, and they have met, they have talked, not about this, but Mike's back in town in Shreveport. 
and I'm going to get eyeball to eyeball with him and give him the latest on Steve. All I'm asking you to do is pray. When you when you pray through this weekend, pray for peace for Steve Baker. Pray for justice for Steve Baker. Oh, by the way, next it might be you. Next it might be me. We Americans should never have to live with that even being a remote possibility. We should not have to live with that hanging over our heads. And you know what they're all about now? Spreading fear. We'll keep you posted here. Steve and I will communicate as we always do regularly. And we'll bring you details. He's not stopping anything. He said he's pressing forward. In fact, he's conducting two major interviews in Washington, D.C. today. He's not stopping. And he said, they're not going to shut me up. That's the kind of guy he is. Well, thanks for listening as we went over line. I mean, we're 12 minutes longer than we normally run this show, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's my show. We control the satellite and the time on that satellite that distributes it around the world. And so we're okay. It's Christmas time. I ask you to personally to pray for Steve Baker. And uh, my nephew, Des Duran, he sings about this very thing in what's titled Christmas Prayer. When I was a little boy, I prayed on Christmas Eve That God would not let Santa pass me by But now those days have faded to happy memories And a far more timely prayer is on my mind My Christmas prayer Is Lord bring us together, make us one Through the love of your own Son Is that we all might finally join hands Sing some good will And because of Him it will not matter Color, creed, or stand We'll be brothers